Louis Zamperini is a true American hero. He's a man who survived more close calls than one could imagine. And today, we'll see there was a reason God preserved him. Here's Pastor Greg to resume his conversation with Louis Zamperini as he talks about being adrift at sea for 47 days. You were uh, out on your life raft and you saw an aircraft approaching. You were hoping it might be a friendly aircraft, but it, it was Japanese and it started firing. Yeah, well, I, I took, a, I, of course, we all took a course in, in identification, but I had uh, observation wings, so I knew planes. When I saw it far away, I knew it was a B-25. And, uh, and so when it got closer and closer, we started taking our shirts off and waving our shirts and the plane came down low and I thought, boy, they're gonna wave at us. We heard machine gun firing and two of us in one raft and, and the, the pilots in the second raft lashed together and uh, the bullets went you know, between our legs and our arm pits and, uh, and the one bullet hit the, the, the pump on the second raft and it ricocheted and ripped the raft in half. So then, I just, we decided to jump in the water the next pass. But the pilot tail gunner didn't have the strength to get back on the raft. I had to boost him in. So then I got in the raft. When they made another pass, I would jump in the water with two sharks. Now, I was taught how to keep away from sharks or keep them away from me. Uh, one thing didn't work. Showing the whites of your teeth and your eyes, that didn't work. <laughs> We were told, this is the guy from the South Pacific. Make a violent motion with your hands, and that didn't work. But the thing that works is a straight arm. Because their nose, they turn it up like that, and you just hit them on the end of the nose, and they take off. And their nose somehow is very sensitive. But they always come back, and you do it again and again. Now, the most remarkable thing is, there's three of us finally in that raft. Uh, in a space about half as big as this. So we're jammed in there and there are 48 holes under our armpits, just uh, growing by an eighth of an inch. It's uh, unbelievable. And uh, you talk about a real miracle. Yeah. Uh, the Japanese, when they finally picked us up, we were the object of attention until they pulled the raft ashore. Then they left us and they kept saying, Nanda, Nanda, counting all these holes. And they looked us over for injuries, no injuries. So after 46 days, you were made your way to the Marshall Islands, you were captured by the Japanese, and now they somehow find out that you are Louis Zamperini, the Olympic athlete. How did they know that? Well, in those days, the Japanese knew more about American athletes than we did. They knew more about American movie stars than we did. Hmm. And, uh, the largest, the largest Trojan club I ever spoke to was in 1950 in Tokyo. They came here to go to get educated. Also, they admired Hollywood and the movie stars. They admired American athletes. They didn't even have a baseball team or anything. Yeah. So they knew all about me, but when I was declared missing, it's so when I picked up, they're startled. In fact, uh, the, the people say, well, what was the worst thing 47 days on a raft must have been the worst thing that ever happened. No, 43 days after capture was the worst time of my life. Much worse than the raft. And uh, submarines came in there, 80 guys. They come through and spit on you, throw rocks at you, jab you with sticks. 
Then they injected us three times for some experiment. And then, uh, but the first people we met when we got ashore was a, a panel of naval intelligence interrogation officers, dressed in white uniforms, gold braid, white tablecloth, drinks, pastries. And one of those six said, Lieutenant Zamperini, when you were entering USC in 36, I was graduating. And he was actually the most obnoxious of the six, a Trojan. Uh, at, at USC, we, we believe in the excellency in, in education, uh, excellency in sports, excellency in morals. And this guy was really a creep. So I finally, I finally had to come to the conclusion that he was a, a third year transfer from UCLA. <laughs> That's good. But ultimately, you ended up in a Japanese concentration camp. And uh, Mutsuhiro Watanabe, am I pronouncing his name correctly? Who was given the nickname, The Bird. This was a very cruel, vicious man. Why did you name him The Bird? Uh, why didn't, that was a name given him. Most of the guards, I couldn't repeat their names, but I don't know why they called him the bird, because maybe if he found out what uh, a dirty word, he might be even meaner, so I don't know why they named him the bird. But uh, he was vicious, he was a psychopath, and I believe he picked on me daily because of the propaganda broadcast that I refused to do, and I think they told him to keep on me every day to make my life miserable, so I'd accept, uh, you know, the, the, the hotel room and the restaurant, and do my broadcast daily with Tokyo Rose. Hello, you fighting orphans of the Pacific. How strict. This is after her weekend, Annie, back on the air strictly under you and So I refused to do that, so I got punished daily, right, uh, right up to the end of the war. Right. You were, they wanted you, a celebrity, uh, to go and do a broadcast on the radio that would be used as propaganda by the Japanese. And though it would have caused you to be relieved of a lot of suffering, you chose to not do that, and you were punished for it. Well, yeah, there's no way you can live with that the rest of your life. Yeah. But uh, the first propaganda was, they kept me in a secret camp for a year and a month. It takes that long to be officially declared dead. When our government declared me dead, then they came out, yeah. uh, they condemned America for declaring me dead. And they took credit for my rescue. Yeah. And uh, so that, that's the way they are. Then they, then they let me make a broadcast to my parents, which is okay, but that was a come on. And then they wanted me to come back a week later and read the propaganda they had, which is also in there. Yeah. In, in the book, you talk about uh, what your food rations were like, sometimes consisting of nothing more than a ball of rice. And in the book, it says, the food was infested with rat droppings, maggots, and so much sand and grit that Louis's teeth were soon pitted, chipped, and cracked. The men nicknamed the rations all Dumpo. So this, how did you survive on food like that? Now, I don't know how anybody survived. Well, we lost about, 
In one winter, we lost 80 men. Uh, the worst night of all was uh, we had to pull the seaweed out of the ocean and they would boil it. And it would become very like snot. Yeah. And uh, you had to eat that and they gave you white rice we never got, that's dessert. We got a kind of a red millet, really tough stuff. And so a, a handful of red millet every day and a bowl full of uh, seaweed. And that was our diet. And that's why guys died. They got weak and had to go to work. Came back and went to lay down and said, wake me up when, when the child's ready and kick him on the foot and they don't wake up. And the bird beat you, didn't he? Yeah, he was trying to figure out a way to, to do me in, I think, because he, he set my life over and over again because when he beat me, I would stand there with my fist clenched. And he, and I was always a defiant kid. Yeah. And he wanted to, uh, he, he, well, he wanted me to hit him because he said, when I draw my sword, I must use it. Jumarai Law. World War II is coming to an end. The Japanese refuse to surrender. President Truman gives the order to drop the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. What had been Hiroshima was a white mountain of smoke, and when we saw it first, it was already up to 25,000 feet. About a thousand feet off the ground, it looked like boiling dust. Exactly ten seconds after 7.35 this morning, August 14th, from London, Swiss radio has announced that Japan has accepted the Allied note requesting surrender. The battleship Missouri, 53,000-ton flagship of Admiral Halsey's third fleet, becomes the scene of an unforgettable ceremony marking the complete and formal surrender of Japan. Japan finally surrenders. You return home again. And eventually, uh, you marry Cynthia Applewhite. Uh, was your homecoming as wonderful as you hoped it would be? Uh, you mentioned post-traumatic stress uh, syndrome. Were you dealing with that after you got home? Well, yeah, you don't look any different. I had it in prison camp because I was, it started with uh, every day in prison camp, I'm strangling the bird. Yeah. I'm always strangling the guy all the way home. And after I got married, I was still strangling him in my dreams. Yeah. And one night, for some reason, I had my wife by the throat. Yeah. And boy, that scared me. And, yeah. and I didn't know what to do about it. Right. And you wanted to kill the bird, didn't you? That's right. In my dreams, I wanted to go back to Japan because I, I, he ruined my life, and I wanted to go back there and do amen. You actually were trying to raise the money to return to Japan to literally kill this man that caused you so much misery. Right. I went into one investment after the other, and I guess the Lord didn't want me to make any money. <laughs> and so uh, then, uh, then my wife decided that this was too much for her. She wanted to get a divorce. Yeah. So she filed. And then some young person and his girlfriend came into our apartment and, and uh, said a young fellow named Billy Graham is coming to yeah. town. He started to preach to us and I got mad and walked out. My wife stayed and listened. She went down to the meeting, came home and tried to get me to go. And I refused, but then she said the magical word. Because of my conversion, I'm not going to get a divorce. Uh. Well, that softened me up a bit. But then she talked me into going down there, but Billy started to read from the scriptures the bible describes the heart in various ways the bible says that our hearts are sinful that it's full of evil imaginations proverbs 6 18 
all of the wicked imaginations that Hitler had. The Bible says that our hearts are desperately wicked. I thought, I don't need him to tell me I'm a sinner. I know I am. So I got mad, left, and went home. My wife was all over me again. And then I kept thinking, no, she's not going to divorce me because she was, uh, she was converted. And finally I gave in and went back again. I said, when he says every head bowed and every eye closed, we're out of there. Well, just as he said, said that, before he said it, I got up, started to leave, just as he gave the invitation. But he said something at the end about people, when they come to the end of their rope, there's nowhere else to turn. It's like when I'm sinking under the ship. They turn to God. And I thought, yeah, that's what I did. I turned to God, and God saw me through the war. He kept his promise, and I didn't keep mine. Right. And I felt like a fool. So I went to the prayer room, got on my knees, and it came out a different person. Amen. So... You're at the Billy Graham Crusade. It's 1949. It's the tent that's been set up there. This really was the launch of Billy Graham's worldwide ministry uh, that is conti continued on for many, many years. And after you prayed and gave your life to Jesus Christ, I, in an interview, Louis, you said, quote, I got off my knees and somehow I knew I was through getting drunk. I knew that I forgave all of my guards, including the bird. And I think proof of that is that I had nightmares, nightmares every night about the bird since the war, and I haven't had a nightmare since that night. I made my decision for Christ, 1949 till now. Is that still true? That's true. It's happened in a matter of moments. But therefore, if any man be in Christ, which can happen in a second. Amen. That's right. That's right. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. And that happened for you. And it happened in such a dramatic way that you returned to Japan, not to kill the bird, but you wanted to meet him and you wanted to forgive him, right? Exactly. I wanted to face him, but when I got to Sagama prison, I spoke to all the war criminals, but he wasn't there. And they thought he committed Harry Carey. And I accepted that until the, uh, until the amnesty was signed eight years later, and he came out of the hills a free man, you know. Wow, so he lived many years. So you actually, probably somewhere around this time, wrote a letter that you wanted to give to him, and this is a copy of that letter. Would you like to read it? Yeah, a letter from Luz Amprini to Mr. Shiro Watanabe. Uh, as a result of my prisoner of war experience under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. It was not so much due to the pain and suffering as it was the tension of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate with a vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights not only as a prisoner but also as a human being were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live until the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble, but thanks to a confrontation with God through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. Love replaced the hate I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan in 52 
was graciously allowed to address all the Japanese war criminals at Sagama Prison. I asked them about you and was told that you probably had committed harakiri, which I was sad to hear. At that moment, like the others, I also forgave you and now would hope that you would also become a Christian. You know, Louis, the amazing thing uh, about you is it's almost as though you've lived three or four lives. There's Louis Zamperini, the Olympic athlete who shook Hitler's hand. Louis Zamperini, the World War II vet who fought for his country and set a record at sea on a life raft. Louis Zamperini, who survived a concentration camp. Louis Zamperini, the man who came through alcoholism, committed his life to Christ, and was willing to forgive the man who did this horrible thing to him. How is it that you could forgive someone? Because there's people here right now that have been wronged in life. I doubt anyone has been as hurt as you have been, but they feel that that person doesn't deserve forgiveness, yet you extended forgiveness. How were you able to do that? Well, there's a number of reasons. The, uh, first of all, uh, I spoke at a day school and I told the girls in the audience that if they want to age quickly and get wrinkles and gray hair, hate somebody. And uh, I said, when you hate somebody, you're not, you're not hurting them, you're hurting yourself. Yeah. I got a letter a week later and a, a young lady said, when you left the school, I went to a girl that I've hated for two years and asked her to forgive me and now we're the best of friends. Yeah. Uh, now hate can destroy I didn't know that at the time all I knew was that Christ forgave me for my rotten sins and, uh, and he could forgive the bird for his but he forgave me and asked me to forgive my enemies it was easy Hey everybody this is Greg Laurie and you've just been listening to a classic message from Harvest Ministries. This podcast is supported by Harvest Partners. To learn more and to find out how you can become a Harvest Partner, just go to harvest.org.